menu stories, an ongoing series of multimedia stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love. This is our podcast, and I'm your host, Rebecca Goberstein. On this 41st episode of Menu Stories, we meet Larry Mandel and executive chef Benjamin Ballesteri of Poggio in Sausalito, California. Mandel is a longtime restaurateur who thought he was retired from the restaurant business after he brought the popular Italian chain Il Fornaio to great success. But his undying love for creating restaurants persisted, and when the seaside town of Sausalito encouraged him to create a new gathering spot in town, he couldn't say no. And I remember my father, he said, don't go in the restaurant business. Don't do it, Larry. So, of course, I did it. <laughs> Let's have a listen. So we are here at Poggio in Sausalito with Larry Mandel and Chef Ben Ballesteri. Thanks for joining us today. Of course, yeah. our pleasure. Yeah. So could you take a second to introduce yourselves and your roles? I am Larry Mandel, and I'm the chief warrior of the company. I spend my time thinking about what might go wrong and then how we're going to fix it and loving what I do and the great people I get to do it with. I'm Ben Ballesteri. I'm the executive chef of Poggio for about three and a half years now. It's been an absolute pleasure to work with Larry and be creating new menu items on a daily basis and just uh, having a wonderful time cooking in his kitchen. I have a deep and passionate love affair for Italy for Italian people and Italian food. I have had that for many, many, many years. I didn't intend to build another restaurant when Il Fornaio was sold, in part because the city of Sausalito wanted what turned out to be Poggio to happen, and I could walk there from my house, and I could share a dream of building a perfect restaurant with my wife, decided to do it. I wanted to build as perfect an Italian trattoria that we could. Poggio's classic neighborhood trattoria is very warm and inviting. Got the wood fire oven and the wood fire grill. So I think people really want to bring their families and come hang out there, which is amazing for us. We're so lucky to have this beautiful restaurant right on the water here in Sausalito. I'm pretty much free to just give my take on Italian cuisine. We're not as classic, straightforward Italian. A lot of California influence. We're so lucky here in the Bay Area to have this abundance of produce and seafood just at our fingertips. So for me, I think Poggio Trattoria is just classic Trattoria with our take on Italian food. And you're right in kind of the center of Sausalito and the water is all around us and it's, it just, it seems like that would be hard to not get into the restaurant. Larry, you mentioned Il Fornaio, just so people know. Can you speak a little bit more to your connection to Il Fornaio, which I think a lot of people probably know as a fine dining Italian chain? Yes. You know, there's so many great stories with, with all these. I took over a struggling chain of six bakeries, and the transaction was done on the back of a napkin because the two fellows that owned it, one was um, Howard Lester, who, as you may know, was sort of the co-founder of Williams-Sonoma. And the other was Warren Hellman, who was one of the most successful investment bankers, certainly on the West Coast, but possibly in the country. And uh, they were losing about a million dollars a year. And I would have lunch with the two, and they were also friends of mine. So we would have lunch from time to time, and I told them what I thought they should do to fix it. Of course, they never did because they each had careers, and, and this tiny little bakery company was just that, a tiny little bakery company losing money. So 
They took me to lunch one day and they said, well, what would it take to get you to actually execute the ideas you're telling us that we should do? How about if you do it and you take the company? I said, well, let me think about it for a minute. And I started writing and ended up being 12 things on the back of a napkin. And I said, if you deliver these 12 things, I'll take the company. And first Warren looked at it and he says, looks fine to me. And then Howard looked at it and he said, fine with me. We shook hands and that was the end of it. <laughs> and uh, I ended up with six money losing bakeries. Uh, I am fond of saying to people that will listen that I probably know more about losing money in the bakery business than anybody else. <laughs> uh, and the idea was simple. Change the economic model of the business. An average Ilfornow bakery was doing about $600,000 a year. It couldn't afford to have good management and couldn't really get good people because you had to start baking at 2 in the morning. And I thought that if you could glue together an artisan Italian bakery with an authentic Italian trattoria that did 4 or $5 million, you'd have enough bulk then to hire great management and wonderful people. Because now instead of having a $600,000 business, you had a $5.5 million business. And uh, we built the first one in Corte Madera, and it was picked as the best new restaurant of the year in San Francisco, and I guess the rest is kind of history. There's 23 of them now, uh, as far east as Reston, Virginia, and it turned into a, a wonderful success, went public, and then went private. So it's been a, just a great ride, great people. So how did then the concept for Pojo come about, and how was that connected to Il Fornaio? And you spoke kind of to the love of Italian cuisine and culture, so how did all of that tie together? Well, it's, it's natural. I never, you know, if, once you fall in love, it's hard not to <laughs> stay in love. And my love for Italian everything never left me, still hasn't. So as I briefly mentioned, Il Fornaio went public, was listed on NASDAQ for four years, and then we went private. And in going private again, a private equity company made a very large investment and bought the majority of the company. And a couple of years later, I decided that I would take it a little easier and relax more, build a boat, and go fishing. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea. And that idea happened, but along came this opportunity in Sausalito, where I lived, where I swore I would never build a restaurant, and I started dreaming about it. At the end of the day, restaurants are my drug of choice. I can't not create restaurants. It's what I love to do. And this was an opportunity to build the perfect Italian restaurant. And the city, as I said, was anxious for me to do it. And at that time, this is almost 14 years ago, almost 15, this end of Bridgeway was not the center of town. The center of town was a little bit south of here. So it was one way to kind of move the town to this end. Poggio did that and sort of became everybody's go-to restaurant. This is Rebecca Goberstein, and you're listening to Menu Stories, an ongoing series of stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love. We'll be right back with Larry Mandel and Chef Benjamin Ballesteri of Poggio. <laughs> is Adrian going to be on the boat? So thanks for giving us sort of that backstory. It sounds like Poggio is very much 
connected to or rooted in your experiences with what you built with Ilfornaio, so I think that's relevant to this story. But maybe we could step back and hear a little bit about where both of you are from. So, Chef, do you want to start? Yeah, um, I was uh, born in Monterey, California. Kind of grew up in the Salinas Valley. Very magical place to grow up. There's fishing constantly every day. A lot of agriculture going on in the valley. So it's pretty much my culture and my upbringing. Fishing on a weekly basis, harvesting vegetables. I was in 4-H and FFA, so I had good knowledge of livestock and animals, taking pigs and sheep to the fair. So for me, since the beginning, I've been involved in restaurants, cooking. My whole family's actually uh, Swiss-Italian, so big feast for Christmas, Thanksgiving. Are your parents from California as well? or My dad's side of the family is from Sicily, and my mom's side is from Switzerland. My mom's side of the family did a lot of farming. They had dairy around the 1930s in the Salinas Valley, and then my dad's side of the family, definitely fishermen from Sicily. So. What's your first memory of food and, and cooking? I think probably my first memory of cooking and food was waking up at 3 a.m. to go salmon fishing. It's something I, I absolutely cried and kicked and I didn't want to do. I was about <laughs> probably four or five years old the first time I went. And, you know, waking up at 3 in the morning wasn't fun for me. <laughs> but I, I look back on it and today I love to go fishing. I wake up anytime. I don't even go to sleep. We fly down to San Diego, go tuna fishing. Out here in San Francisco Bay, halibut, sea bass, salmon fishing. So I try to go on a weekly basis if possible. That's great. And do you, so that's where some of the fish is sourced for the restaurant? Uh, no, actually, we're not We're not allowed to uh, oh, okay. catch our own. Talk bring, about it. Bring, yeah. <laughs> bring, bring it back to the restaurant and some more uh, legality matters. Buying from a reputable purveyor is very important. So, oh, yeah. okay, got it. You still don't know what could happen to fish. Yeah. In between the boat and the restaurant, whereas professionals ice it down and they know how to bleed the fish and those kind of things. I never knew that. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, but I actually I don't think we've ever talked about that process with anyone on this show before. Um, <laughs> I would love to if I could. Yeah. But Do we don't you have, have a license. You need a license to catch fish on a commercial basis. Got it. Okay. And do you prepare the fish you catch for yourself? Oh, yes. We eat all the time. I was actually <laughs> just in San Diego last week, and we caught a few yellowtail and a few yellowfin tuna. And I got home. to eat some of them, too. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I brought them home, sliced it up, a little ceviche, a little crudo. It's amazing. Sounds perfect. And Larry, what about you? Where are you from? And what did get you into the restaurant industry in the first place? Well, I was born in the food capital of America, I think, a tiny little town in Ohio, that uh, whose best restaurant was at the time was a Chinese restaurant. So I had no exposure to food. My first real memories of loving food was I used to go fishing with my father in Canada, and we would stop on an island and grill the fish that we caught that morning. And that was my first memory of how much I loved that food. I was being facetious when I said the food capital of America. Ohio was a wasteland. Uh, there, was, there was nothing there. Uh, so that's my first memory. And uh, what first got you into the restaurant business? I started out in the coffee business. And at a very, very young age, I owned the oldest independent coffee roasting company west of the Rocky Mountains in San Francisco called Caswell Coffee Company. Our business, while we had retail coffee, as a matter of fact, one of our cans is a piece of art in the art store about two doors down the street from here. We did some retail business through supermarkets, but most of our business 
was in supplying hotels and restaurants with coffee, tea, and spices. And I remember so well going into restaurants and thinking the only kind of restaurateurs that I met were either glorified maitre d's who really knew good service but didn't know anything about the business side of it, or they were business people and they didn't know hospitality. So uh, Caswell was fortunate enough to be a major factor in that what was called the institutional coffee business, which is hotels and restaurants. And the two largest companies in the country both wanted a, a foothold on the West Coast, and we were the second biggest at that time. And so they had a bidding war and why I sold the company. Then I had a significant life change and um, decided to do something I've never done, which is go into the restaurant business. And I remember my father, uh, I was living in California here in San Francisco, and he said, come back, spend a weekend with me and let's talk. He said, don't go in the restaurant business. Don't do it, Larry. So of course, I did it. <laughs> And I remember the first restaurant, and I did it with a partner, Jerry Magnan, who lives in Los Angeles. We started with a little old Italian restaurant called Chianti, and we made some changes. We hired an Italian chef that was really good and waited for the throngs of people to arrive. Because when we went there, Jerry and I, to decide if we're going to try to buy this restaurant, which was being sold in an estate sale, we fell in love with it and consumed three bottles of wine, probably didn't help our judgment, and said, this is it. And so we didn't think it would be good for us to go to the estate sale, so we sent a lawyer. And that lawyer had $36,000, no more. And in fact, he bought it for 32000 And that's how we had $4,000 to fix up the restaurant. <laughs> I was still at the coffee company. I hadn't left yet. So we waited for people to arrive. And before we bought it, it was doing six, eight, ten people a night, maybe on a weekend, 12. And after we bought it, it was doing six, eight, or ten people a night, maybe 12 on a weekend. So they didn't come. And all I could think of was my father said, don't do it, and I am losing all the money I just made selling my coffee company, and it's going to go right down the drain because of getting in the restaurant business. And that went on for three months, and I was plenty worried. And then one night, a woman came in alone, sat down at a table, ate a pretty large meal, paid her bill, and left. That was a Tuesday. On Saturday, the early edition, Saturday morning, of the Los Angeles time hit the shelves, and we had to dust off the cobwebs on our telephone because it wouldn't stop ringing. <laughs> we probably had more calls that Saturday morning than we had had in three months. Turns out that it was Lois Dwan. She was the most important food critic in the West. What she said in her article that Chianti is not only the best Italian restaurant in Los Angeles, but it very well may be the best restaurant of any kind in Los Angeles. Wow. And so every movie star and every <laughs> director and every mover and shaker in Los Angeles for the next 15 years wanted to get a seat at Chianti. That saved us. And from Chianti, we built a restaurant in Century City called Harry's Bar and American Grill, 
which was opened by the proprietor and his bar man from Harry's Bar in Florence. We had all the furniture made in Florence from the same guy. And then my dream was to open a restaurant here in San Francisco, and it was called MacArthur Park, named after Jimmy Webb's song. That was a big hit, too. And from there, we built Prego on Union Street and Chow on Jackson Street. It grew to 14 restaurants. Wow. And then some investment bankers thought it would be a good idea if Spectrum Foods, which was the name of our company, went public. And I thought about it for a long time, maybe six months, and decided that it would be a bad idea because we didn't have the infrastructure for it, and I was afraid it would change the chemistry of the company. So we didn't go public, but one of the bankers said, a fellow named Charlie Lynch at Saga Corporation, which was a $1.2 billion food conglomerate in Palo Alto, was in his seventh year of a 10-year contract and would like to talk to you. So I talked to him, and we got along really well. They were the largest supplier of food in colleges and universities in America. They were the second largest supplier of food to hospitals. And they also owned a chain called Stuart Anderson's Black Angus, and they bought, they bought Spectrum Foods. And they bought it for two reasons. Number one, they paid quite a bit of money. And Jerry Magnin, my partner, had a heart attack. And when I told him of these discussions, he said, Larry, if you can get anything like that for our company, I will be forever grateful. Because he didn't know what was going to happen. So we ended up with 14 restaurants. I became president of Saga's restaurant group. And two years later, Marriott bought Saga in an unfriendly takeover. And I left. That's how Il Fernayo was born. I, I, I didn't have a job. And Howard Lester and Warren Hellman had, a, had six bakeries losing money. <laughs> it was a match made in heaven. <laughs> Definitely a storied career before you even went down that path. Chef, for you, what got you into the restaurant industry? Well, when I was about 13, my dad actually purchased a restaurant, and uh, I started there washing dishes, prep cook, line cook, a little bit of everything. And then after that, just working through high school in different restaurants around the Monterey Bay and Canary Row. It was meant to be. I, I never really thought this was the direction I was going to go or going to be cooking for the rest of my life. It was just, it was a way of life for me. So I, I loved it. I, every morning, waking up, cooking breakfast for family and heading off to school. And then at night, going to whichever restaurant I was at at the time. And whether I was a busboy or a server or prep cook or line cook, I just, I, I love the restaurant industry. I love just the energy and it's just always moving and going. So it's just, it fits me, fits my personality just the volume and the intensity of the restaurant business. When I was 19, I uh, moved to San Francisco and started culinary school and was working at Stars Bar and Dining at the time, an iconic restaurant here in the Bay with Jeremiah Tower opening it and quite a few chefs after him. And then after that, I just started traveling and cooking. I made my way up to the Napa Valley and then over to Italy and traveled Spain and cooked a little bit on the way. It's been a way to travel and see the world for me. So it's been meant to be. We just uh, did an interview with Chef Bruce Hill and he mentioned stars as well. He had spent some time there. Um, did you, I'm guessing you did not cross paths. No, was there probably was, before uh, your time. yeah, definitely before my time. <laughs> um, Chris Fernandez was actually the chef there when I, when I first started and then he left and then Amaral 
came in and took over, who has a larder down in uh, the ferry building. So what ended up bringing you to Pojo? Well, um, actually, a friend I was going to culinary school with, Peter McNee, was the chef here about nine years ago, more or less. I was down in San Diego working at the Lodge of Torrey Pines, and he called me up and says, like, hey, I need help. Come up and be my sous chef. And I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm not really sure. I love San Diego. It's beautiful. The weather's nice. The beach life just kind of suits me. And You seem like a very San Diego kind of guy. <laughs> and tuna fishing as well. So it, I, I definitely love San Diego. So I decided to make a move up here to San Francisco. I worked for about two years under Peter. And before moving on to another uh, gig, I went to the Four Seasons in Santa Barbara and then out to New York and worked for Jonathan Benno at Lincoln Restaurant. And then after about two years in New York, I was ready to come back to California. You know, I, I love New York, but I'm definitely a California kid. Snowboarding, wakeboarding, surfing, fishing. So it's definitely my way of life. Mountain biking right here in Marin and Mount Tam. So I moved back and it just happened. Uh, Peter was on his way out and I did a little cooking for the investors and Michael Bauer just happened to be in the restaurant that night. I was trying out for the executive chef position at Poggio and like Larry says, the rest is history. I've been here three and a half years and things have been great. I have no complaints. Life is beautiful. We're just trying to cook the best food we can and that's pretty much it. Sounds like good timing and a lot of hard work kind of came together for both of your stories. What's been the most challenging thing about, about both of your roles? Well, I guess for me, it's just staffing in the Bay Area is really hard to find great people. We're pretty lucky at Pojo, but every day there's a new challenge. And for you, Larry, what's been the most challenging thing about this role and throughout your career? What's been the most challenging thing? Oh, it's always about people. It's not only the challenge of finding good people and being in business with them, but so much of it is drama. <laughs> Besides all the things that go wrong or right in a restaurant, there's drama all the time. And it leads you down streets you can't believe. What, am I really thinking about this? And, um, but it's all about people. This is a people business. If you love the business and you're in it, you're in with people. You better like them because if you don't, it's a terrible, terrible business, I would imagine. What's been the most rewarding thing about what you've been able to accomplish and, and what you do here at Poggio? Well, I think just uh, making people happy, making people smile when they tasted an amazing tomato salad that's the ripest in the peak of season. You know, it's just, we're open pretty much every holiday. So our holiday weekends, just all family and friends come in. They're all so happy. I think, I think that's the most rewarding thing is seeing smiles on people's faces for me. I'm the same. <laughs> Walking in, the restaurant's full. People are smiling and laughing and having a great time and sharing that great time with people they care about. I mean, it's every restaurateur's dream. Sometimes it really gets me, too, when I walk in there and it's just packed and happy. And actually, he's only been here three and a half years, but Ben is one of those people that has made my being a restaurateur a joy. It isn't always like that. What is it about Chef Ben? He's right here, but you can still be honest with us. He's he's just a he's just a he's just a terrific guy. You know, there's no BS about him, and, and uh, he's like a normal guy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both so much for taking the time this morning and staying indoors with us on this beautiful, rare, cloudless day in the Bay Area. So I'll let you get back to it. Thank Great. you so much. Yeah. Hey, thanks for coming over. It's our it's our pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. You just heard the 41st episode of Menu Stories, an ongoing series of multimedia stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love. 
If you enjoyed this story, please spread the word to your friends about the work we do. Subscribe to the Menu Stories series on menustories.com so you can get the next episode delivered to your inbox. There, you'll also find the complete Poggio episode with pictures and a behind-the-scenes video. You can find us on Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram at Menu Stories, and on Twitter, we're at Menu underscore Stories. This podcast is also available on iTunes. This episode was produced and photographed by yours truly, with editing done by Monica Lowe, and all videography was done by Patrick Wong. I'm your host, Rebecca Goberstein. Until next time, happy eating.